Let me just say we ask a lot of you guys on Sunday mornings, and the fact that you can sit here and listen to anybody after being here for an hour and a half engaged already says a lot about you. It does say to me that you devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching. You would have to, I think. Um, so thank God for your perseverance. And I don't say that jokingly. <clears throat> Please open your Bibles or uh, electronic devices to Philippians chapter 2. This is one of those what I would call a big stick passage. Sometimes some passages are pound-the-pulpit passages. This one, to me, you need a big stick to just hit the podium, just to just drive home how incredible this is. I told Ken in the back there, I am gloriously anchored in this passage right now. It is so amazing. Let me read it. Um, again, we'll read it two or three times throughout the message. But let me read it. Philippians chapter 2, we're reading verses 5 through 11. Moon touched on 5 through 8 last week. We're going to kind of bring in what he said along with the rest of the passage because this is one thought pattern. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I am reading from the ESV. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. God, we come to You and we beg for Your grace to understand this passage. And my words are not adequate. I know that without a doubt, God. But Your Spirit is able to apply this directly to our hearts. And I pray that that's what would happen, God, and that this passage would become the very fabric of our lives. And that we would be changed as a result of Your Word, Your Spirit, Your people. We ask for Your help and we expect it in Jesus' name. Amen. Has anybody ever received a gift and it just overwhelmed you because you knew that it cost a lot of money? Like you get it and you're going, I can't accept this. I had a, I had somebody in my family one time give me a vehicle, and I'm not talking like a 79 Nova or a Pinto or anything. It was a, if somebody's got a Pinto, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. Uh, this was like a 2000-something Chevy Tracker. It was nice and uh, gave it to me. It was paid for, handed me the title, handed me the keys, and said, I want you to have this. You know? I mean, what do you do with something like that? Yeah, you drive it. Thank you, Samuel. <clears throat> That's correct. That's correct. It's humbling to know not only that somebody thought about you, but they counted you worthy of the cost of the pricey stuff. And they said, you are worth it. And pretty much every Christmas is like that for me. My, my family, Amanda's family, both of them, 
are what I would consider extravagant givers. I mean, Christmas morning, Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, every year, box after box, package after package, slack jaw after slack jaw. You're going, what in the world? Paper piles up, and I'm just shaking my head because I'm like, you guys have spent a lot of money on me, on my wife, on my kids, on my family. And most of the time, I know exactly how much the stuff costs because they, they have us make lists. You know, hey, pick out something, you know, make a list of things that we can pick from. So I know exactly how much it costs. And I'm amazed. I'm amazed that somebody, anybody, would spend that much money on me. Now, and, and that may sound superficial, and maybe it is superficial, but the cost is not overlooked when I think about these things. And right or wrong, it does add to my appreciation of this stuff. Because money isn't cheap, right? You don't come by money easily. Nobody does. Well, if you do, the authorities will find you out eventually. So, Now, and again, I know that looking at prices on gifts is not an extremely healthy habit to have, but I do believe knowing how much something costs can be very humbling when you receive it. Our passage today points directly at the price tag that Jesus Christ paid in his journey to earth, his journey to the cross, and also the return on his investment that he received for himself and for us. So, at the risk of doing it too much, we're going to read this passage again, okay? Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our journey through this paragraph will show us the pre-scripted movement of Jesus for our redemption in three stages. First stage is Jesus existed as sovereign. It's going to be E's and S's, okay? Existed as sovereign. Jesus existed as sovereign. That's the first stage. The second stage is Jesus emptied as slave. Existed as sovereign, emptied as slave, and the last point is Jesus exalted as supreme. <clears throat> so, existed as sovereign, emptied as slave, and exalted as supreme. I believe we'll see through these points the extravagant price that Jesus paid for our salvation and come to appreciate that cost all the more. First, we'll look at Jesus' existence as God from eternity past. Point one is Jesus existed as sovereign. Look at verses 5 and 6 of Philippians 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now we'll look at the grasped thing in our next point, but focus with me on the statement, though he was in the form of God. Paul is making a staggering statement here. And it, and it really, and I don't, I can't overemphasize that enough. It's staggering. Who is Jesus Christ? The question, who is Jesus Christ, is answered by the question, who was Jesus Christ? 
before Jesus became a human being, He existed in the form of God. Jesus was God. There are several verses we could look at uh, to confirm this, and just write these down. I'm going to read them. You can write them down. You don't have to turn there or whatever. Write them down and listen to them, and you tell me what you think. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and that word, Word, is capitalized. Capital W Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And that capital W Word is Jesus. So Jesus was with God, and it says that Jesus was God. Okay? Colossians 1, 15 through 19 is another passage. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, that being Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He will be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's pretty explicit, isn't it? I'm going to read one more. Titus 2, 11 through 14. This is a familiar passage, but listen. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, there are other passages and we could go further, but I think these give us a pretty clear idea of how the Bible describes who Jesus Christ was before, during, and after his earthly ministry. He was in the beginning with God. He was God. By Him all things were created, by Him and for Him, and He is our great God and Savior. Amen. Fist pump. I got a fist pump out of that. Now, stop and think about this for a minute. We say it, and again, it becomes so off of our tongue. It's so unaffecting. Jesus was God. I'm afraid we don't realize this. And what it means for every other doctrine that we look at, especially what we're looking at today, there is no person, no thing, that was not created either by or for God. Both and. By and for Him. What exists is for His glory. So, before Jesus became a human, He was equal with, He was the same as God. Now remember Paul's words, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, dot, dot, dot. As God, in the form of God, equal with God. These words describe Jesus, who existed as sovereign. So having seen that Jesus existed as sovereign, let's move to our second point, that he was emptied as a slave. Here, we start to see the cost involved in what Jesus did to come here. Now, remember, Jesus was with God, equal to God. He was God before he came here. Now, watch the movement. 
Let's start in verse 6 and go through verse 8 of Philippians chapter 2. <coughs> Excuse me. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, the second part of verse 6 includes an interesting phrase. Did not count equality with God a thing to be what? What's the word? Grasped. Okay? What's this all about? The word grasped means to deem anything a prize. That's the literal meaning of it. A thing to be seized upon or held fast. Actually, one of the versions says held fast. Something to be retained. So let's plug these thoughts into the text. Jesus didn't regard equality with God as his prize. Let that sink in for a second. His equality with God was not something to be held fast to or retained. There was something that Jesus wanted more. Something that took precedence over him holding on to his privileges as the co-equal, reigning, ruling Son of God. And what was that? John's Gospel gives us the answer. We've quoted it often, but probably not often enough. The context, John 3.16, alright? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Now go on to verse 17. Listen, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Now listen, who said those words? Who's got a Bible that has different colored letters when somebody else is speaking? I.e. Jesus. Anybody got a red letter Bible? John 3, 16 and 17 are in a pretty red paragraph, right? So Jesus Christ himself spoke these words. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and said these words. And what he is saying his purpose was to empty himself as he came into this world. Because God loved us so much. Gets back to what we talked about at the beginning of the message. I mean, at the beginning of the music. Jesus' purpose in emptying himself was because God loved us so much, he made a way for us to have eternal life with him and not be condemned, but rather be saved. God loved us that much. And who is God? Jesus is God, right? Now, back in 1 John, that's near the end of your Bible, if you're not familiar with where it is. First John talks about the doctrine of the Incarnation. How Jesus was fully God and fully man. Here we see the Son of God not grasping or holding on to His divine rights, but becoming a person to accomplish the will of God, which is our salvation. Now, please don't misread what this means, okay? It's not that Jesus gave us His Godness or gave up his godness when he came to earth. Okay? Not at all. Anybody listen to Through the Bible with J. Vernon McGee? Yeah. This is a good quote. J. Vernon McGee said that Jesus was as much God when he was a baby at Mary's breast 
as he was when he was speaking the worlds into existence. Jesus never ceased being God. Again, I love the early church fathers said, remaining what he was, he became what he was not. Which means he never stopped being God, but he became a man which he had never been before. So Jesus didn't give up his godness to become a man. Okay, what we're going to look at is, what did he give up? His emptying did not involve losing any of his divinity. Remember the passage in Colossians 1 said, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And that includes his life on the earth. So what did he empty himself of? This is very important, I think. The rest of this part of this passage, which goes through verse 8, gives us the idea we need here. Look back at Philippians 2, 7 and 8. He emptied, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' emptying involved God the Son taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, and humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, that thought would be amazing enough if it was just somebody. If it was you or me that did that. That would be amazing. That you would humble yourself and make yourself a servant and die death on a cross. That would be amazing if it was you. For someone to make themselves a servant, for someone to be willing to die a horrible, violent death to the benefit of the very ones who were killing them. Yes, if we did that, it would be amazing. But look at the cost here. Who is doing this? God Himself. God who exists for His own glory and is the originator of life and who deserves the praise of every man, woman, child, angel, and demon in the universe emptied Himself of His divine rights to be praised and adored, to come to earth, walk as a man, serve His creation, and even die a brutal, torturous death at the hands of a sea of humanity who mocked Him and hung Him on a Roman cross in first century Palestine. Now can you just stop for a minute and consider the cost here? What do we have to compare it to? It's like the Trinity. There is no comparison. You can't compare the Trinity to an egg. You can't compare the Trinity to a clover. You can't. There's nothing to compare the Trinity to. And there is nothing to compare the cost that Jesus paid when He emptied Himself and became a man. Nothing. C.S. Lewis tried. And he offered this in Mere Christianity. Now this is a little bit, it's a paragraph. It's not a one-line quote. This is what C.S. Lewis says. Did you ever think when you were a child, what fun it would be if your toys could come to life. Anybody ever think about that, kids? What if your toys could, you know, Andy's here! You know. You ever think about it? This is, back to the quote, sorry. That's not in the quote. Well, suppose you could really have brought them to life. Imagine turning a tin soldier into a real little man. It would have involved turning the tin into flesh. And suppose the tin soldier did not like it. He's not interested in flesh. All he sees is that the tin is being spoilt. He thinks you are killing him. He will do everything he can to prevent you. He will not be made into a man if he can help it. The quote goes on. What would you have done about that tin soldier? I do not know. But what God did about us was this. 
the second person in God, the Son, became human Himself, was born into the world as an actual man, a real man of particular height, with hair of a particular color, speaking a particular language, weighing so many stone. The eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that a baby, and before that a fetus inside of a woman's body. If you want to get a hang of it, Lewis says, think how you would like to become a slug or a crab. And even C.S. Lewis's colorful language doesn't give us the full picture. There's no comparison. Very God, a very God, not only became what He created, but He put Himself under the judgment of that creation as they charged Him with treason and called Him who knew no sin guilty. And all the while, the Scriptures say he never spoke a word in his own defense. He even prayed on the cross for his executioner's pardon, saying that they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know that they were actually fulfilling the will of God himself, who from eternity past had determined that the only answer to the depravity of man was a cross where he would hang to pay the penalty for their sin, not his sin. This blameless, spotless lamb was being slain according to the foreknowledge and very plan of God Himself who had decreed that it would be so before the world was formed. Turn to Isaiah 53. Again, a familiar passage, a popular passage, a well-known passage, and it details for us exactly what God's plan was. Isaiah 53. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. Now again, think about this. 700 plus years before Jesus was born into the world, this is God's statement about this God who would become man. Who has believed what He has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He grew up before Him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him, and no beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed Him not. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Again, stop and ponder that last statement in light of the thought that this was God in the flesh. It was the will of the Lord to crush Him. To crush who? The Lord Himself. 
It was the will of the Lord to crush the Lord. He has put him or himself to grief. Stop and think about the great cost of the Lord, the Most High, emptying himself and laying down his life for you. He existed as sovereign. He emptied as slave. Why? Why? These are big thoughts. These are monstrous thoughts. Why? Here's where it all comes together. Here's the reason. Third point. Exalted as supreme. I'm going to ask again, and it seems like every time I've spoken, I've asked this question. What's God's main concern? What's He most concerned with? I'll tell you what it is. Write it down. I'm answering all of life's questions with this statement. God's chief concern is God's glory. You're in there, but you're not his chief concern. He did everything he did, and you get benefits of it, but he did it for his own glory. As much as he loves us and does what he does to benefit us, his chief purpose in loving us is his glory. Look at verses 9-11 through of Philippians chapter 2. Sorry to make you flip so much. Let me read verses 9-11, through Philippians chapter 2. We're almost done, guys. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not to nitpick. Okay, it is to nitpick a little. I hate I hate the word Easter. I I just, I don't like it. Resurrection Sunday fills me up. Easter, and and we can talk about that later. Anyway, on Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection. As well we should, not, not just on Resurrection Sunday, but every Sunday, every day we should celebrate the resurrection, right? That's, That's where you say yes. Okay, thank you very much. (laughs) But what's the resurrection all about? It is about God the Father exalting God the Son by bestowing upon Him the name that is above every name. And how did He do that? If you're taking notes, write down Romans 1, 1 1-6. You don't have to turn there. Romans 1, 1 1-6. And listen to this. I don't think I've said listen today, which that's one of my staples. Listen, listen. So listen to this. Paul, the servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong. Jesus Christ. How was Jesus declared to be the Son of God in power? He just told us. By His resurrection from the dead. Jesus' humiliation 
from here to to China, from here as we can't comprehend the height and the depth there. When he breathed his last and was buried, his humiliation was complete. He was humble to the point of death, even death on a cross. So it is finished, Telestai, he said. Humiliation's done. You say, well, they drug him off the cross and they wrapped him up, and yeah, but humiliation was done. It's finished. It looked like at that last breath that Jesus had been defeated. To the natural human eye, it looked like defeat, but his death was short lived. God acted in mighty power and raised Jesus from the dead to show that the last enemy had been conquered. Beginning here at the resurrection, God started the exalting of the humble Christ and culminated that exaltation when he took him back into heaven 40 days later. Paul gives us a clear picture of this in Ephesians 1. Again, write it down. Don't go there. Ephesians 1, 17-23 where he says this. Listen. Ah, listen. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church who is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Mm. It sounds a lot, that passage does, like our Philippians passage. As Paul says that beginning with the resurrection... God began showing the entire creation that Jesus was to be the center of attention for all eternity. He exalted Him, it says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And why? Our Philippians passage says it's for one purpose at the end of verse 11, to the glory of God the Father. Again, I want you to know for certain that this was God's plan. God demands the worship of the Son, who is very God of very God, so that God's glory can be best displayed. The pre-existent Son, who emptied Himself of divine privilege while He was on the earth, was exalted to the highest place possible so that God could be best shown to all the universe as worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. Yes, the horrible cost of Isaiah 53 had to be paid, but that chapter concludes like this. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Listen, verse 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death 
and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Mm. Isaiah paints a picture of a God who is glorified by bearing the sins of transgressors and creating out of them offspring who will sing His praises forever. They will know that it was He Himself who bore their sins. He Himself humbled, despised, rejected, taking the punishment for their sins in a human body so that they can have sinless perfection given to them. They will receive the benefits of righteousness because He ordained it to be so. When His soul makes an offering for guilt, He shall see His offspring, and they will bow the knee before the Son of God and confess Him as Lord and God. And the Father will be glorified throughout eternity by the worship given through the Spirit, empowered worshipers who see the Son of God as supremely worthy of all honor, glory, and praise. It comes full circle. And that's what Paul's trying to tell us in this passage. He started here. He came here. And now he's back here again. Do you know the great lengths that God went to for your sake? Not some prophet, not some good man, but God Himself. And we sit and we yawn. So having seen Jesus Christ as existing as God, emptied as a slave and exalted as sovereign, we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions. First and foremost, do I know this Jesus? Not about Him. Not facts. Not trivia. Do I know this God? Because that's what He wants. He wants you to know Him. He emptied Himself that you might know Him. And if I do know Him, do I know the depths of His humility and the height of His exaltation? Because I think we can get stuck at the humiliation part and say, man, that was awesome. What's even more awesome is the fact that He didn't stay humble. Now He has the name that is above every name and He ever lives to make intercession for you. Not a humble servant anymore, but the reigning, ruling, sovereign of all creation ever lives to make intercession for seated at the right hand of God and praying for you. If I know this, how should it affect me right now? Ultimately, it should move me to live like He lived. To love like He loved. Remember Paul's ultimate reason for even bringing all this up was to call the Philippians and us to have this mind in ourselves which is ours in Christ Jesus. That same mind that didn't count equality with God as a thing to be grasped or prized exists in us. 
And I can't even wash the dishes sometimes when my wife would like me to. I have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. We should know our position of exaltation in Him, but have that move us to humility and service to others, just like Jesus did when He paid the staggering price that He paid to be our example. And not just that, but the resurrection gives us the hope that we do have new life. We do have the mind of Christ and His life in us we have His life in us so that we can live like He lived. This is Christianity. And may we live it for our good and for His glory. Let's pray. God, I don't want to be melodramatic. I don't want to feign or provoke emotions for the sake of emotions. But I believe that you would have us to stop right now and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I think that you would have us, God, to be overwhelmed this morning. Not with grief, but with wonder, amazement, awe, had a God who loved me enough to become like me in every respect, yet without sin, and to hang on a cross to take the penalty for what I've done wrong, to bear the full weight of the wrath of God so that I can stand with you forever in heaven, God. You did that for me. Ultimately, you did it for your glory, and I appreciate that, and I'm glad that that's the ultimate purpose. I'm glad that I'm not the end-all, be-all of what you're doing, God. But I am glad that I am in that plan. By the power of your Spirit, God, would you flood our eyes and our hearts with light so that we can see the great cost and be moved by that cost, God. Be overcome and overwhelmed with that cost. And may we have, may we know that we have that same mind in ourselves. As life gets harder and harder, may we know that we have overcome and that you have pronounced Jesus Christ to be your Son through the resurrection and that that very same resurrection life, that same very very same resurrection power exists in us, that that mind exists in us, and that you're calling us to that same humiliation, knowing that it leads to the same exaltation. We are the body of Christ. And we will never be Jesus, but we will worship Him in perfection for eternity. And that hope is an anchor for our souls. Thank you, God. We ask you to help us in Jesus' name.